For better or worse, the home field advantage continues to be about as valuable as it's been all season for Houston. And Carlos Correa reminds Jim Crane he should have bought Dior. It's episode 44 of Stone Cold Strows, and it starts right now. Welcome to Stone Cold Strows. I'm Brandon Strange. I'm joined by senior content contributor Charlie Palillo. Follow him on Twitter at Palillo and read his weekly column on sportsmap.com. Next to him is sportsmap.com editor Josh Jordan. Follow him on Twitter at JoshJordan975. Just a reminder, the three of us host a Texans podcast called Texans on Tap on our other YouTube channel, Sportsmap Texans, and also wherever you listen to your podcast. Charlie, it's episode 44. Which Astros player who wore the number 44 are you thinking of this week? You used past tense, so I will follow accordingly. Unless something unfortunate happens with his career arc, Jordan Alvarez will be part of a number 44 retirement ceremony, but that should be a joint number retiring. Justin Verlander throws a wrench into the works because with the two World Series titles and two Cy Youngs, even though he's pitched a much shorter duration than Roy Oswalt pitched for the Astros, Roy Oswalt had the best, when you factor in length of body of work, the best pitching career of any Houston Astro ever. Better than Nolan Ryan, better than Larry Durker, better than Roger Clemens, who was also a compressed window. Roy Oswalt was, well, wizard-like. And also so self-effacing that it took like two years into his career before he politely corrected the media, which had been calling him Roy Oswalt. And a quick (laughs) shout out also to Danny Darwin, who wore 44 for about a half decade here. One of the better nicknames in Astros history, Dr. Death for his mean on the mound. Well, guys, let's get into it. If there's one thing you can count on with Houston, it's that former Astros always seem to be their kryptonite. And outside of Garrett Cole, there's probably no more affordable former Stro to face in the postseason than Carlos Correa. In a team full of postseason vets, Correa's leadership probably doesn't make the difference here on Houston. But how critical of an edge does it give a team like Minnesota? Well, when he hits a whole lot, intangibles are only valuable if they are supporting tangibles, as in Astros catching. I know, I know, I'm getting ahead of the script. Uh, Carlos Correa was a bad player this season, right? Collecting his 33 mil in the first year, the six years, 200 million for which he settled after the Giants and Mets pulled the contracts. He flunked the physicals. Correa was a 230 hitter with an OPS of 711. Defensive metrics falling off, ankle problems, plantar fasciitis that had him on the injured list. He didn't even play the last two weeks of the regular season. Well, over the first two games of this series, best overall player on the field. Jordan with the three home runs, but Correa impact offensively, defensively. I don't know if he processed it to say, uh, yeah, remember, I was a pretty good shortstop too when he made just a spectacular play. And oh, that arm throwing out Jeremy Pena for the last out in game two. Uh, But Correa, you know, he was an Astros version of Mr. October. Tremendous clutch resume. Uh, There were some ups and downs, but the overall ups, right? He vaulted forward in postseason play. Uh, So the leadership and all that is great. But if you're going to hit cleanup, you better hit. And game two, he knocked the Astros senseless. 
Yeah, he's got that edge. He knows how these guys approach hitters, what they're trying to do in these scenarios. I mean, think about it. He's the guy that runs to the pitching mound every time. So he was there for all those conversations. Of how do we want to attack this guy? What do we want to do here? He mentioned in the postgame show, he knew you know when Fromber was pitching against him, there is that last at bat that they were going to pitch the ball down. It'd be a sinker or a changeup. He knew what Maldi was going to be dialing up for him, and, and he made the adjustment there. So that's not going to change. You know, he's going to have intel for pitchers on his team, hitters on his team, but you know, th- that's okay. The Astros are really good, you know, about talking with each other, what they're seeing from pitchers and making adjustments. So that's something they're going to have to do, but it is a little weird seeing it, you know, with Correa in your own building, but Hey, it's the postseason. The Astros are no strangers to Garrett Cole and George Springer and Carlos Correa and, you know, having to having to face Garrett Cole after him playing on your team. Astros have been through this before. They just they got to hit the ball better. They got to score some runs. So, Josh, you're suggesting that Carlos Correa in that two RBI bet outsmarted the genius catcher. (laughs) Hmm. Um, Correa was always a thoughtful and expansive interview on here. And I thought he was just fabulous with his openness and insight in the post game to game two, specifically to that at bat, but also in addressing, I don't think it was really surprising, uh, but fairly lusty booing. Some of it envy of, gee, wish he's still here as he's getting one clutch hit after another during the course of the game. But it grew into a louder booing than I thought, uh, as much as anything in-game envy. And as Correa said, I'm not going to make anything of it. I'm not on their team anymore. They want me to strike out every time. Yeah, I would just point out nice. maybe pitching him inside a little bit more. I would Hunter Brown struck him out with, with an inside fastball. That's something where you don't want Correa to be able to get extended and and use his arms to to really shoot balls the other way. And jamming him seems to work. I would have liked to have seen a little more of that in in the past game. So hopefully that's something they'll do here moving forward. Short series baseball, you just you don't know a matchup can be favorable and not work out at all. Uh, but the Astros offense in a nutshell in 2023, the first two games of the series, right? Altuve jumpstarts you in game one with the leadoff home run and Jordan does his thing. And then game two, they do nothing basically until the outcome is determined. Alvarez with the two run homer when you're down six, nothing late. So either show out or the season can end in Minneapolis. The twins were a 47 and 34 home team this year. Uh, fortunately, Major League Baseball assigning the Astros day games. Temperatures will be in the mid-50s, which is cool, but not onerous. I mean, Seattle was about that, the night games the last week of the season. Um, but I would say not optimal uh, for the Astros playing in the mid-50s, but better than if you play at night where the temperatures will be dropping through the 40s. Uh, pitching matchup game three obviously favors Minnesota. Game four is probably no better than a toss-up. So if offered right now, if you're the Astros, yes, I'll take my chances in a rematch against Pablo Lopez, who absolutely dominated them in game two. Well, he would be the Twins game five starter Friday night with Verlander on five days rest, unless the Astros were to get a little panicky if down 2-1 contemplate coming back with Verlander on three days rest, thinking, well, we'd have Fromber for game five. Well, right now, would that be such a good thing to have Fromber in reserve for game five? So should the Astros be down 2-1? I think you hope like mad that Urquidy, France, bullpen game, and the bats can get you through. And then it's JV on home ice in game five. Which is Friday, Friday the 13th, by the way. Or they just went to Minneapolis. It's not like that's off the table. Uh, And the Astros so much better on the road this year. This would be a good time to send up a reminder flare of that. 
Well, if games one and two were a microcosm of the offense, then they certainly were of the pitching as well, because Verlander didn't have his best stuff on Saturday, but he still gave Dusty a really good outing. And Hector Neris come in, a guy who has been nails for you for most of the season, but has also kind of walked the razor's edge at times. He almost gave it all back. We didn't even mention Graveman not making the DS roster due to that bum shoulder. We've mentioned, you know, from Valdez and, you know, kind of seeing the ugly end of what his season looked like on Sunday. Now the Astros go to the cold Midwest. You've got Javier versus Sonny Gray. I just, I look at this, the question marks around, you know, your starters, your long relief. Now you've got a question about Naris. Do the Astros have enough pitching to get out of this series? Sure they do, because they only need to win two out of three games. Maybe they win one 11-8, like the Rangers beat the Orioles in game two in that series. Right? We're tantalizingly close to an Astros-Rangers-American League Championship Series. Talk about a buzzkill if it's the Rangers who ultimately get there and the Twins uh, take out the Astros. Uh, you know, Sonny Gray pitched twice against the Astros this year. Well, it was very early in the season. But this is a guy who may be top three for American League Cy Young Award. He was third in earned run average in 2.79, at 2.79. First start against the Astros this season, seven innings, one run, 13 strikeouts. He has plus-plus stuff. Second time they saw him, six-plus innings, three runs, but it was one run. He gave up a single and a walk to start the seventh, and then the bullpen gave up a grand slam to Altuve. So Sonny Gray is really good. Uh, You know that crowd is going to be gone crazy. That shouldn't rattle the Astros, but it is a boost to the Twins. If Minnesota plays from in front, uh, that can be a a real problem. Uh, On Hector Naris, I'm just going to say that's one of those stuff happens stuff. The entire season, Hector Naris never gave up more than two earned runs in an outing. Once, he gave up three runs. One was unearned. And so that he implodes, gives up four runs in, in one inning, well, at least it happened when they had a 5 nothing lead instead of a 3 nothing lead. Yeah, I kind of expected something like that to happen with Naris after all the shenanigans in Seattle. you know. And then he was so great in the Arizona series. I just figured all that emotion going in that one way, he, he would have one performance where he didn't perform as well. So at least it was in a game where you know you still came away with the victory. I'm still going to go back to him if I need him. I, I'm just, he's been too good you know, to not trust in those big situations. And with Javier... Even Verlander, as great as he was the other night, he gave you six innings. You know, Fromber got knocked out early in this last game. If Javier gives you five, you're going to be happy with that. And just looking back, knock on wood, he hasn't given up more than four since July So, as far as earned runs. So if Javier can kind of keep you in the game, only give up a couple runs, give you around five innings, I think you're going to be happy with that. And if you look at his last four starts – he hasn't given up more than three and mostly gone five or six. He went four and two thirds in one of those games. So I think Javier, he's pitching better than we've seen him pitch for a good portion of the season. So if there's ever a time to kind of lean on him and he's familiar with this back against the wall in Philly in the World Series when you're down and, and you need a big performance and he, you know, he throws the combined no hitter. Javier's been in these types of situations before. I think you just you just have to you have to trust him and, and hope for the best. But three runs in five innings, that's not so good. And against Sonny Gray, your bullpen better be perfect and you hope you can eke out 4-3. Simplest summation for what Javier needs to get done in game three is keep the ball in the ballpark. Uh, he had major gopher ball problems this season. You know, he and Hunter Brown were the two guys who gave up the most. Twins tying the Rangers, the American League lead in home runs. The Twins have shown their capability to take it deep. 
at home. They're going to have their lineup loaded with left-handed hitters. And one thing in the matchup game, you know, Rocco Baldelli has in his favor, or he knows the Astros can't go to any lefties in the bullpen. So it's not like he's going to worry about burning up his bench. Whereas in the Fromber start, he knew he could pinch hit once a righty came into the game because it would be only righties after that. The Twins have a good ball club, right? The Astros aren't much better than them overall in this series. We'll see whether they turn out to be better than them in Minneapolis. So guys, with Jeremy Pena being in a extended home run drought since July, him hitting in front of Maldonado seemingly neutralizes anything he does with the bats, unless there's guys on in front of him. Uh, Sunday, Jeremy singles to lead off the bottom of the third. Maldi then abruptly hits into a double play. And then down five, bottom of the fifth, Pena doubles to lead off. And instead of pinch hitting for Diaz when you need runs, Maldi again bats and he grounds out softly into what all in all likelihood would have been another double play had Pena been at first. The issue really seems to be the Astros chose to carry guys like John Singleton and Greg Kessinger instead of carrying a third catcher like Cesar Salazar. So they don't have the insurance to uh, sub in Diaz earlier in the event that he gets hurt. So it tells you from the onset that Dusty has no intention of lifting Maldi in these games until like Sunday, it's late and the game is all but out of reach. Could Dusty's trust in Martin Maldonado be one of the Astros' biggest weak spots this postseason? Well, there's no question about that because it was one of their biggest weak spots over the entirety of the season. And it's not why they lost game two. Right, Lopez dominated them. Fromber stunk. But Dusty on this subject, we're not tilling new earth here. He's a stubborn old goat. And I mean the long-term usage of goat. Goat, the animal. Bad decision-making. And whether he's just dug in, I'm going to do it my way until the end, or whether he actually is ignorant to the statistical realities of the situation, not batting, Yiner for Maldonado after a leadoff double in the fifth when you're down 5 nothing was plain dumb. And if Yiner gets hurt and you're without a third catcher, so be it, right? They did that some points during the regular season. All right, he finally hits for him later in the game. You need to be aggressive when you're down 5 nothing. And Yiner came in and popped out. It's not like he was likely to hit a two-run homer to spark a dramatic comeback, but it's about reasonable percentages intelligent decision making right that cliche about coaches and managers well their position their job is to put players in the best position the team in the best position to succeed and at the catcher spot dusty has failed to do that way way too often and it reared its very ugly head again in game two again it didn't decide the game but it certainly didn't help a chance of jump starting a, a huge comeback when you, if it's one nothing and the runner's at second, okay, Maldonado's going to sacrifice to try to get him to third with one out for Altuve. But 5 nothing game, not batting Diaz for Maldonado there. D-U-M. Dumb. I think it's part of the problem. It's on the other side of the ball. Like if you gave Dusty Truth Serum, he probably thought Fromber would have given up 10 runs if Maldi wasn't catching him. You know what I mean? Like I think he sees it that way to where – Oh, if he's not out there and, oh, Maldi needs to be out there to help Hunter Brown along, he's going to have the same thought process here with Javier. Oh, we got to have Maldi out there calling pitches for Javier or he doesn't have a chance. But, I mean, it doesn't come as any surprise to me just based off that Mariners and Diamondback series to to end the regular season where you could argue Maldi and Abreu are kind of the heroes for the Astros to, to get in. 
So I didn't think for a second we'd see a lot of Yiner. I figured Maldi would be doing all the work behind the plate, and that's what we've seen pretty much. It's unfortunate Maldi doesn't have a hit yet out of the two games, but you know, you also look at Bregman and Tucker combined together. Those guys just have two hits. So like Charlie said, it, it didn't lose you the game. You, you got to get your, your Kyle Tuckers, your Alex Bregmans. You got to get those guys going. That's how the Astros win. Dusty's going to keep playing Maldi. There, there's really no way around it. I'd like to see pinch hitting happen more as well. I'm just, I'm just kind of done expecting anything to change at this point. That insanity is seeing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. Well, there's also a saying, you're never too old to change. Dusty, wow us. You're running out of time on this. And there's always the possibility in a given game, Maldonado pops a mistake into the bleachers. He hit 15 home runs this year. But it's about body of work. It's about laws of probability. And in game three, you're facing Sonny Gray, who has dominated you regularly in the past. Your pitcher is not very good of what he did the second half of the season. The expectation is you're going to need to put some runs on the board to win. Ditto in game four. So going with one of the worst offensive regulars in the history of the sport over Yiner Diaz at this point, as if Yiner Diaz is the village idiot of receivers, whereas Menza Maldonado solves all, it's just laughable. And you know what? I do think we are at a tipping point or have already gotten there within the organization. This is one of the reasons Dana Brown is going to want and whether Dana Brown has the authority to make the call and whether Jim Crane has been pretty invisible in, in recent weeks. Um, but I do think this will be part of the dusty epitaph. They want to win a World Series. Uh, I expect there to be a new manager in 2024. An interesting juxtaposition from Minnesota. You look across to the other opposing dugout, they're pinch hitting with a five run lead. You know, they're they're aggressive in their moves. And also the twins have their superior defensive catcher on the bench. They're opting to go with their better offensive option. So it, it is just a an interesting comparison between managerial styles and priorities. But to speak to that, I, I also found it interesting too. Dubon, who's been the center fielder of choice for Dusty for Justin Verlander starts on Saturday. He went with Chaz in center field. Are you guys at least a little curious that we're not seeing, especially given that there's not quite the offensive disparity this year between Dubon and Chaz? Are you are we surprised to see Chaz uh, start in both games one and two? I was in game one. Given Dusty had been pretty consistent down the stretch of valuing Dubon's defense and the arm specifically back of Verlander. And, you know, with his denseness on the catching situation, it's kind of contradictory in that, hey, I want Dubon in there for the defense because with Verlander on the mound, I expect it to be a low-scoring game. We'll scratch out a couple, but we don't need to score six, seven runs with Verlander there. So, hey, let's make sure the defense is the best it can be. Whereas when facing a really good pitcher, if you're throwing away outs essentially by going with Maldonado, just don't don't jive. Uh, so yes, I was surprised in game one. Dusty gave the rationale, the matchup of the the pitching style against him. Um, but you know, Chaz McCormick, who overall has just had a, a sensational season, but he wasn't good in September. OPS September first on was seven oh three. Uh, he's not had very good swings in this series. Did have the one ground ball single in game one for an RBI. And in a blue pit, you know, which essentially is a lucky hit, but uh, a lot of bad swing and miss uh, strikeouts, especially in game two. Credit to Pablo Lopez. Um, so, you know, which which way do you go? Game three, game four. Uh, McCormick still gives you the better power shot. Um, fairly expansive outfield, though, at target field. 
So do you think Dubon, Javier, a little bit more of a fly ball pitcher? Um, how about the heavy lifting superstar guys uh, do that heavy lifting in, in the road games if the, the Astros season is going to extend beyond Wednesday? Yeah, I wasn't surprised to see Chaz out there. We saw them flip the script last season when it, it was Chaz when the playoffs started. And then if you look at the games they really had to have, the Seattle series and the Arizona series, Chaz, Chaz started all those games except for the, the finale after he got hit in the back. And I think that was more about concern about that injury than anything else. I almost feel like Dusty's like – Allow me the Maldi and I'll play your Chaz. You know what I mean? Like I, if we get to pick one. I'm I'm gonna roll out Maldi. Dana, you get to roll out Chaz. I you know I I say that tongue in cheek, but I think there might even be a little something to it. A, a little bit of compromise going on. So that didn't surprise me with Chaz, but Chaz hadn't been hitting so great in September. Charlie's right. It it hadn't looked exactly the same. Dubon has been pretty clutch, but. No, it didn't surprise me at all to see Chaz out there in center. I I thought that's what they were going to do. We'll see if that changes when they get in a bigger ballpark. But no, over this series, that's that's what I expected. To move on to our last topic here, Charlie, you mentioned how we'll see this offseason, Dana Brown's influence on this organization in regards to the future of Dusty Baker. We may have gotten our first clues into Dana Brown's vision for the future of the Astros. It's interesting because Brown made some comments last week about how uh, there's going to be some internal promotions. There's a lot of good organization or a lot of good people within the organization. And he speculated that maybe there would be uh, a half a dozen promotions internally. But this week, the Astros dismissed their farm director, Sarah Goodrum, and assistant GM, Bill Fergus. What do we read into these moves? Well, I think Dana Brown, not quite a year into the job, it's natural that he's going to reshape the front office with some of his own guys and gals, perhaps. Um, you know, notable. I don't think the Astros should be catching any heat for it when uh, a woman in a position where you don't find many women in Major League Baseball loses her job. So be it. A uh, new sheriff comes to town. Uh, he's going to appoint some different deputies and, and change out the, the staff some. So, you know, assistant general managers – whether it's someone that he's worked with in Toronto or Atlanta that, hey, when I can open up a position, I want you to come there. Or maybe those are promotions from within uh, addressing these couple of positions. But I don't think there's anything really surprising or, or shocking about it. Uh, if Dana Brown's the general manager, he should have the right to flush out the front office as he sees fit. Yeah, I, I'm not surprised they're going to make some moves, but who they decided to get rid of is where I'm kind of like, huh, they, Bill Ferkus was a promoted to assistant GM last offseason after they told Click not to come back after winning the World Series. He was kind of the, the face of the front office during that period when, when Crane was kind of running things behind the scenes and, and they hadn't hired a new GM yet. And, I mean, to me, Ferkus is almost kind of the the face along with Bagwell of the Abreu deals and you know the, the Brantley signing and with him being injured this year and of course the Montero extension him finishing with an ERA over five so I, I think it's kind of interesting it looks like kind of Fergus here is taking the bullets for all the back of the baseball card stuff and that's just me speculating I'm sure there's a lot of other stuff going on behind the scenes that I'm not aware of but that's what this kind of looks like to me and he goes back 10 years with the organization was with Luno I don't know if you guys watched that documentary with all those Wall Street guys and that kind of stuff. He's been around those offices. He knows those guys. It, it shocks me a little bit they're going to push another Luno guy out, but that's why it jumps out to me. He was kind of the face of all this Abreu stuff, and 
I wonder if this was Crane and Dana Brown being like, yeah, let's let's make it look like he's accountable for this. Let's get him out of here. Look, Dana Brown's a farm system guy, a player development and drafts. That's that's his background. The Astros farm system is weak for a number of reasons. And like they just made one botched pick after another. But the farm system is very weak. And it's why, along with the major league rosters, the Texas Rangers future over the next several seasons looks much brighter than the Astros. And the Seattle Mariners go out and ambitiously add Shohei Otani's bat, right? Forget about the arm. Uh, The Mariners are going to be a real challenge as the Astros are getting toward a transition phase with some age and pitching questions. So for Dana Brown to pursue his vision, especially in terms of overhauling, drafting, and player development, that's what he was foremost brought here to do. So now he can get on with it because he didn't have that opportunity last offseason getting the job in January. And that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold said so. And that's going to be it for another episode of Stone Cold Strohs. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to give us a five-star rating wherever you get your podcast. Charlie, Josh, and I will catch you next week. But you don't have to wait that long to get your Houston sports fix. All you have to do is subscribe to Sports Map Houston on YouTube. John Granato, Lance Erline, and Josh Jordan will have you covered there. Thanks to Jack Brame for producing Behind the Scenes. And thanks to everyone for listening. And as always, until next time, Ghost Strohs.